welcome to the Spiritual Awakenings podcast. I'm David Lorimer, co-editor of a new book, Spiritual Awakenings, Scientists and Academics Describe Their Experiences. It's published by the Academy for the Advancement of Post-Materialist Sciences and is available in paperback and Kindle editions. In this series of weekly podcasts, we'll be sharing the 57 original essays together with introductions and epilogue from my co-editor, Professor Marjorie Willicott. We hope you enjoy them. Part 3. STEs occurring spontaneously during daily activities, often without a specific triggering event. The essays in this category most often represent a series of gradual insights that bring the individual closer and closer to a sense of unity with all that is around them. One person wrote, There was no road to Damascus, no blinding light, just a gradual opening to a presence in the heart. The experiences often seem to happen in the midst of ordinary activities, which were suddenly perceived as extraordinary. During this experience, the usual ordinary state of awareness was transformed into a wider, expanded awareness. This shift in consciousness happened in many contexts, from a jail cell in Spain to the bush of Africa. We include here the classic example of Arthur Kessler's epiphany in a jail cell in Spain. Kessler was an early member of the Scientific and Medical Network. He said, I was standing at the recessed window of cell number 40, and with a piece of iron spring that I had extracted from the wire mattress was scratching mathematical formulae on the wall. I was trying to remember how to derive the formula of the hyperbola and was stumped. Then I tried the ellipse and the parabola, and to my delight succeeded. Now, as I recalled the method and scratched the symbols on the wall, I felt the same enchantment. And then, for the first time, I suddenly understood the reason for the enchantment. The scribbled symbols on the wall represented one of the rare cases where a meaningful and comprehensive statement about the infinite is arrived at by precise and finite means. The significance of this swept over me like a wave. In another essay, the author talks about his experience as a 19-year-old in a beautiful part of South Africa. He says, There, at Sengwa, was the beginning of the long trail that has brought me to new ways of being in nature which encompass academic biology and science but which are, in fact, much older and wiser. This feeling of being in the midst of the deepest sacred and of the most wise never left me for a moment during the five months or so I spent at Sengwa. It is possible that, as in other types of STEs, when one is intensely engaged with an activity— or with the natural environment, there is a reduction in activity in the default mode network and a suspension of the egoic narrative of the mind, allowing an experience of unfiltered, expanded awareness. 
we invite you to look back at your own experiences to see if you also may recall a moment when you were engaged in an activity and shifted to an experience of flow. Perhaps it was a moment when there was a loss of self-consciousness and you experienced a movement into an expanded state of awareness where you appeared to be effortlessly engaged. The Light of Love by Janice Minor Holden Read by Juliet Hooper-Hughes So far in my 71 years in this lifetime, I've had four mystical experiences. This was my first. The year was about 1979, making me 29 years old, living in the Chicago, Illinois area where I had grown up. My husband, George, and I had been married for about a year. I had been a high school psychology teacher for about five years, and I'd just finished my master's degree in counselling. I had recently read Raymond Moody's book, Life After Life, about near-death experiences, NDEs. George and I had signed up for a psychosynthesis weekend workshop. In the interim, we had bought a house. As it turned out, the first day of the workshop was our first day of access to our new house. We had paid for the workshop, so we were going, but my heart wasn't in it. I was anxious to begin life in our new house. The second day of the workshop, our leader, Tom Yeomans, led us in a guided imagery exercise. He instructed us to identify some as yet unresolved challenge in our life, At the time, I and my psychology course were very popular with the students, but I had had a problem with one type of student. He, always a male, sat in our lecture hall, up and away from the rest of the students. In an attempt to engage him and encourage his involvement with the rest of us, for his own developmental good, I would urge him to come down and join the rest of us, and he would resist. We would get into a power struggle that ended in discord. The only time I had sent a student to the principal's office was as a culmination of one of these struggles. I sincerely wished to know how to handle the situation differently, but was genuinely stymied as to how I possibly could. That was the challenge I had in mind when, after standard induction of relaxed breathing, etc., The eyes-closed guided imagery went something like this. You are outdoors, sitting under a tree on a lovely day. In the distance, you see a mountain. You stand and begin walking toward it. As you walk, a symbol of innocence appears and you bring it with you as you walk. Upon reaching the mountain, you see a winding path upwards and follow it accompanied by your symbol. When you reach the top, you turn a corner and before you is your symbol of the ultimate benevolent source of wisdom in the universe. You present your problem and wait to receive anything the source might offer you. Pause of a few silent minutes. 
As the time approaches for you to leave, you convey gratitude for anything the source offered and you turn to descend the mountain path. As you walk back to your place beneath the tree, your symbol of innocence vanishes and as you sit back down, you reflect on anything you want to take with you and keep from this experience. In my experience, my symbol of innocence appeared as a three-year-old girl who took my hand as we walked. When I got to the top of the mountain, I had no idea what symbol of wisdom would appear, but when I turned the corner, there was the being of light from NDEs. I presented my challenge, and as I waited, the imagery took on a life of its own. First, the light entered the little girl, and I was amazed to see it fill her and emanate from her chest. As I held her hand, I felt its power, and then the light came into me, filling me and emanating from my chest. As I lay there on the floor, eyes closed, I wept profusely. At one point, my face was so tear and snot-covered that I opened my eyes, got up, stepped over other people, got to my purse to retrieve and use a tissue, went back to my place, laid down, closed my eyes and was right back in the experience of the light. Even as I write these words right now, I'm overcome with chills to remember the overwhelming sense of love I experienced. There were no words, no verbal message, just this experience of profound, embodied and emanating, exuding love. If I had to put words to the message of this experience, it was just love him. Let him be as he is. See him in a broader developmental context. Just because he is isolating now doesn't mean he always will. The best way to foster his development is to accept him now where he is and just love, love, love him. After that experience, I was transformed in the most subtle yet profound way. I didn't try to be different. I just was different. During my remaining six years as a high school psychology teacher, I had that student a few more times, but I never again had a problem with him. I also credit that experience with my subsequent effectiveness as a counsellor. No matter where my individual or couple clients were, or where I hoped they would ultimately arrive developmentally, I more fundamentally just loved them where they were. Although I did not restrict myself to a person-centred counselling approach, I resonated experientially with a favourite saying of its founder, Carl Rogers, 1980, who quoted Lao Tzu, circa 600 BC, author of the Tao Te Ching. If I keep from meddling with people, they take care of themselves. If I keep from commanding people... They behave themselves. If I keep from preaching at people, they improve themselves. If I keep from imposing on people, they become themselves. Though Rogers did not 
attribute this attitude to a transpersonal source, for me, its true source is a wisdom that transcends the usual personal limits of space, time and identity. The attitude is not chosen and cultivated. It is the product of a transformation resulting from an encounter with an ultimate divine force, the light of love. Thanks so much for downloading the Spiritual Awakenings podcast. Do join us for the next episode.